Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. And he, Jesus, went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. 
Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, we've been considering this gospel account of John for the last couple of months. And again, as we've begun each of the, the messages, we want to be reminded again of the ultimate purpose of John, and that is to present Jesus as the Son of God. God who came in flesh to become the Lamb of God in order that he might take away the Sins of the world. So if you get nothing else, hopefully after months of teaching, right, by the time we're done with this, you're going to be able to just kind of say there's a mantra. Hopefully you're, you're waking up in the middle of the sleep right now, you know, and you're saying Jesus is the Son of God who became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. You know, and so if you think about it, again, that's what the church ought to be unified in because that is the core of the gospel message. That is exactly what John is, again, trying to get across. And so, as we considered, as we've come into this segment now of where Jesus is presenting the evidence for himself as the Son of God, we discussed the, that there are seven metaphorical I am's in the book of John that most people focus on, but it's the literal I am's that really have the greater weight that Jesus presents in John chapter 8. That Jesus says in John chapter 8, if unless you believe, I am, I am, on Yahweh. Do you remember in the, in the Hebrew, so in the Greek, it's ego eimi, I am, I am. But that comes from that on Yahweh. And we spent the entire message talking about 
what the Jews understood when Jesus said this. I am, I am. That was a term that only Yahweh himself would have declared. He declared himself to be God. And so Jesus says, John 8, verse 24, unless you believe, ego in me, unless you believe, ani Yahweh, unless you believe, I am, I am, you will die in your sins. Is it important for people to understand Jesus is God? Yes. Now, understand, again, we've talked about this, that it's the faith of a child. I don't know what a child fully understands, and I don't think a child needs to understand everything, but a child needs to understand trust and faith. And so then, if they have true faith, true trust, then as they're presented truth, as they get older, what happens? They receive and they accept that. Jesus said, I am, I am. It was the, the line in the sand that he was drawing with these Jewish leaders who were kept wondering who he is. And so we have to ask the question, who was or who is Jesus? Now, there is a trilemma that's been presented throughout history. Uh, it's most commonly understood by C.S. Lewis. We, we bring it from C.S. Lewis. But he didn't really use these terms. But it really comes from John chapter 8. And I want to kind of bring it out as we didn't get to bring it out a lot when we went through it. But first of all, you have to ask yourself, is Jesus a liar? When he claimed to be I am, I am, when he claimed to be God, you've got to ask yourself, is he just lying? Well, that's what the, the, he was accused of. They said, you give witness of yourself, and your witness is not true. You're just a liar. Well, what did Jesus do? He turned it around on them and said, no, actually, I'm telling the truth. And you are children of your father, Satan, who is what? A liar from the beginning. So you are the liars, okay? Secondly, if he's, if he's not God, if he's not a liar, then he's just what? Out of his mind. Or in that day, he would be having a demon. He would be a lunatic, okay? And that's exactly, again, what we saw in John chapter 8, that they declared that he was out of his mind, that he must have a demon, and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not the case. Rather, it is, as he stated at the very end of John chapter 8 as well, before Abraham was, ego emi. Ani Yahweh. I am, I am. And so you really, you have to make a decision. It's the same decision that everybody back in those days had to make. Who was this guy? He's making some outlandish statements. I am the bread of heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And then, I and the Father are one. And as we talked about that last week, the, the whole concept of not one in purpose, that's not what they're arguing about. They're not arguing about whether they're one in purpose. They, they believe that they should be one in purpose with God. That's not a, that was not an issue. What they took up stones to stone him for was him declaring that the Father was in him. Remember, we stated, literally says, in me is the Father. And also I am in the Father. It's the bubble in the bubble in the bubble. you got a bubble inside a bubble, but the bubble that's on the outside is on the inside as well. And so at the end, during the question and answer time, Karen and, and Justin brought up the, oh, I'm, I'm, 
the Mobius strip. And so here it is, okay? You got a picture of the Mobius strip up there, okay? So Justin on Tuesday made a Mobius strip for me. It wasn't a, full, a real Mobius strip. It was a, it was a, 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 the one that was taped together. But he showed me how, you know, you start drawing a line on it and you keep going. And ultimately, the line that you draw is on the outside and on the inside. It's one one solid line. The line never ends. It just continues on. So the line is both on the inside and the outside of that piece because there's only one, one edge on that. But then he showed me what he was trying to talk about at the end, and everybody went, Woo, shing. it's called a Klein bottle, okay? Where all of a sudden the Mobius strip goes into the next dimension. And so there are bottles called Klein bottles. Look it up. This is kind of cool. It's one piece of glass. And it goes inside. So you actually pour water from the bottom of it and flip it over, and it goes back into the into the, the pitcher, but it's all one piece of glass. But that still doesn't make it fully comprehend what it means what Jesus is saying, you know, because there's still a joint in that, that Klein bottle, okay? And so, so you now take that into the next realm, into the spiritual realm, okay? And this is really kind of cool stuff. And I know this is, a, but I love it from the, from the, um, the whole perspective of um, just the dynamics of it. And when you start meditating upon the fact that we're going to get there in John 14 and stuff like that, but the Godhead dwells in you. Jesus said that he and the Father are going to come and dwell in you. And then then we're told in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit comes and what? Dwells in you. So I'm assuming for a moment, Jack, that you're a believer, okay? I mean, it should make sense, right? But think about it. The Holy Spirit's living in me. Poor Jack. Because I got the Holy Spirit. But guess what? You got him too. How does that play out? That doesn't make any sense, does it? And so, so in a, the application of what Jesus is drawing on is huge. You really have to, to, to think about this process. And so in, in Sunday school, when we're talking about Colossians, we're talking about the body of Christ, right? And how we have the expression of compassion and all this kind of stuff. And how it's important for us. Because think about it. In a sense, what happens when a bunch of people who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them come together? Say again. They unite, but unite how? In the Spirit. You get it? I mean, the Holy Spirit is here in presence in a a larger way. I don't know. I think we have this fellowship that goes beyond this physical. You got to get beyond the physical moment and get into that spiritual aspect of it to understand where our unitedness really is at. It's not in programs on the earth. It's in heaven. And so what Jesus is talking about is huge. Now, I said a while back as well that John is talking to the Gnostics as well during this day. Remember, he's putting his presentation for Jews, and you've got to think Jewish, but he's also in Ephesus, and he's talking to the Greeks. In the Greeks, there's a, the, the concept of Gnosticism that's, that's coming into the church. And Gnosticism has this um, special knowledge that you need to have. And it has this inner truth and this special truth. And it talks about this light that you can have, this wisdom that, that, that comes, that transcends things. Do you, do you see what Jesus, okay? I didn't get to talk about it a lot, but Jesus is, John's talking about Jesus and using these terms as well, and he's bringing this concept in that the true truth is located where? In Jesus. The real light or wisdom, if you would, the, the, that brings the, 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 the inner conscience. So John chapter 1, 
he, he was in the world, and he brought the light to every man who comes into the world, talking about the conscience that comes in, comes through Christ. Okay? And so Jesus is basically saying all this at one time. I am it. I'm the creator. And now, to, to stamp it, he does what? He gives sight to a man born blind. It's a miracle that goes without parallel. Whoever heard of a man who was born blind receiving his sight? And Steve, as we talk about, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. But in that moment, at that time, at that very second, it became what? Possible. Because the Creator was on the earth. The one who spoke and it became the one who took the dirt and formed it and breathed into it the breath of life took the dirt and spat on it and stuck it on this blind guy's eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he did. And he had his sight. And the people couldn't figure out who is this guy. And remember when we talked about it, that when we came out of that, we said they ain't seen nothing yet. Because the crescendo has been building. And it's been building. And as we saw last week with the works that he's doing, or at least the ones that John is presenting, there are so many more miracles that we see in Matthew and Mark and Luke that John's not even talking about. He's just talking about certain ones, and, and they are building and building and building to like, how can you not understand who I am? And that's what Jesus said last week. If you can't believe me just beyond my words, I get it. It's kind of hard. Here's a guy standing flesh and blood in front of you saying, I'm God. And you say, oh, okay, good. Hey, God, how are you? I've been wanting to see you for a long time. No, this is kind of mind-boggling. I picture God as someone I cannot see. Isn't that what the Word says? No one, what? Sees God at any time, right? And so here you are standing in front of us claiming to be Yahweh incarnate. This doesn't make sense to me. But if you'd have read even Moses, you'd have seen that Yahweh appeared to who? To your father Abraham and the plains of Mamre. Jesus said, but even if you can't believe me for my word's sake, believe me for my work's sake. Look at what's happening. Look what I am able to do. And if you cannot believe me just based upon the words, believe me because of the works. And so he leaves from here and he goes to the other side, to the Jordan River. Now, I have the map up here because I think it's important for us to understand. Um, so you have the yellow circle where the Temple Mount is. And this is current Google map, okay? And so if you look at that little bitty thing right down in here, that's the Temple Mount. See that little white square? You got really good eyes, okay? I just know where it's at because I put it there, okay? But anyways, if I take off my glasses, it looks like nothing to me. Anyways, but that, that white dot, that white square there is the Temple Mount. There's a dot on that dot. And that would be the uh, Dome of the Rock, okay? But that's the Temple Mount, okay? And so you have Bethany, which is about two miles from that. That's there in the purple. But Jesus is way up here, probably up into where the me is, okay? And, and maybe even above the map part, along the Jordan River. There's debate. You can come over here, and there's the, um, the oh, the chapel, or whatever they call it, the Church of St. John the Baptist, um, probably right in here. But that's not probably the proper spot that Jesus was baptized. That's only there because the Catholic Church needed a place that was along the road in order for the, the uh, people who went over there to come. Anyways, so 
But he was in Inon, where there was a bunch of water, and it wasn't in the Judean sector, okay? It was up in this area. And so, in order for, for Jesus, then, to be able to come from that area, okay, um, to come over, he would have to travel the wadi. Remember, I've talked about the wadi in the past, okay? So I thought I'd kind of show you what the wadi kind of looked like. See that dark line? Looks like a river, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly what it is, Okay? A wadi is just a, where the water comes out of the mountains. Jerusalem is along a mountain range right here, okay? And they come down into the Jordan Rift Valley. This is Jericho area, okay? And so it passes on through there. And so, um, Steve, did you do a wadi walk at all? Chuck, did you do a wadi walk? Okay. So, Marsh and I walked this uh, wadi. Um, and so, that's how they would travel from the Jordan Valley all the way up to the Jerusalem area. Note that it comes to the northern part of Jerusalem. That's where it, it pumps into. And so you'd walk along the edge of this. So up from the, the, the water, there is a, a, a ledge, and you walk along the, the ledge, okay? So this isn't a, uh, like a, oh, it's just going to take us a couple hours to get there. Actually, this is a couple hours, two, two miles, okay? But it still takes a good 30, 30 minutes to two hours, depending on how you're, you're walking. So think about how you walk. Okay, and so now think about that walk being along mountains. Okay, and so um, it's a difference between walking around the neighborhoods here and going to Pittsburgh, where I'm from, and walking a couple miles there. Okay, up, down, both ways, right? And so, so Jesus is over here. We have the location. Okay, so I want you to see that. And so then we have the the notification where Lazarus. He's told that Lazarus is what? He's sick. Now this is kind of cool. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So. If you loved somebody and you heard they were sick, how would you respond? I know, you get on your cell phone, you text them, whatever, but you don't have cell phones, you don't have, you don't have phones like that. And so, especially in this day, and you're a couple, de- you're a couple days away, you'd what? You'd pick up and leave. You'd get there and go. Especially if you what? If you really loved them. What did Jesus do? He stayed. Jesus' response Ah, uh, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, the Son of God may be glorified through it. So he stays for a couple of days. He stays for a couple of days because he knows something. Ultimately, God is sovereign. Ultimately, God is sovereign. Now, I, wanna, I don't want to eliminate who Jesus is for a moment, because that's going to come into play. We get that. That's, you get, know where we're going on this, right? But I've got to insert myself there. Okay? I have to have a confidence and a contentment upon that news coming to me. The one whom you love is dying. They have days. They have weeks to live. Maybe hours. And you're two days away. How do you respond? Your confidence has got to be in Christ. Especially if you know that the individual knows Christ. Do you get it? Jesus didn't panic. He didn't get himself in a tizzy. Rather, he stayed where he was at. Because he knew ultimately that this sickness wasn't unto death. Was he lying? We could say that. People want to say that because what happened? He died. So, clearly, Jesus was a false prophet because he died. But it was 
a purpose that was bigger, right? This may be to the glory of God. But note the second aspect of it. Not only that God's going to be glorified, but what? The Son is going to be glorified as well. When we get to John 17, the beginning of it, that is it's so exciting to me. When we, like verse 2, when we're told that, that Jesus is praying and asking for the Father to be glorified with the Father, with the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. Do you, when you, go back and read Isaiah 40 to 48. I mean, I mean, I shared that. Uh, that's probably one of my most favorite portions of scripture. When you read Isaiah 40 and 48 and you study it and you pour over it and just keep reading, 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 you've you got to walk away understanding the tri, tri, trinity, the triunity of God, understanding who Jesus is. Because if Jesus isn't God, if he's not Yahweh in the flesh, He's the biggest imposter the world has ever seen. And Yahweh is unjust for not destroying him on the spot. Because Yahweh says over and over again, he will not share his glory with another. He alone is the creator. He alone is the savior. He alone is the redeemer. Before him, there were no gods created. Neither shall there ever be any after him. And Jesus is wiping out everything that Yahweh declared. Unless he's Yahweh. And just saying it in person. It's an amazing thing. And so Jesus says, ah, this isn't a big deal. This is to the glory of God and for my glory. But then he waits a couple days and makes a decision. His decision is now it's time to what? Now it's time to go. But know what he says to him. Our friend Lazarus, what? Sleeps. But I go that I may wake him. Well, they're saying, well, you know, if he's sleeping, let him sleep because it's going to be better for him. And so he kind of comes back and says, guys, guys, Lazarus is dead. Could you imagine the shock? Oh, I want to go back to the, oh yeah, his omniscience. Okay, first of all, omniscience. He knows Lazarus is dead. But the second thing here is his confidence as well. We're talking about in confidence of God. Let's go to Judea again. Okay, so you remember that big, that, the map that was there, okay? The separation that was there. They're no longer in the Judean territory. He, he went a, a couple days away. Remember, because they want to do what with him? They want to stone him. They want to kill him. Okay? So he hung out for a little while, but finally he says, ah, enough's enough. And he goes over to, on the other side of the Jordan River. Okay? But now he's getting ready to go back into the exact spot. And we're not talking about a long time later. And he's getting ready to come back in. And so his disciples look at him and say, uh, <clears throat> Lord, <laughs> did you forget already why we came here? I mean, we came here because they're trying to stone you. They're trying to kill you. Jesus says, look, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in light, but if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not what? In him. I'm not worried about it. Because in me is what? The light. I am the what? The light of the world. Jesus said, remember back in the beginning of 9, that whoever follows him will walk in what? Will walk in the light as well. In fact, he said in part of the, the, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount that we ought to be like what? 
cities that are set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. You are the light of the world. And while the light of the world is in you, darkness has no authority over you. Think about that. While you are walking in the light, there is no occasion of stumbling in you. When I stumble, what did I do? Say again? I chose what? To, to walk in the dark, to step out of the light. That's exactly right. I became enamored with what was on the other side of the fence, if you would, and I chose to come out of the yard. And that's why the dog bit me. It's not the fact that the dog's on the other, in the other yard that's a problem. It's the fact that I got out of my yard and went into the yard. That's the problem. While the light is in me, darkness has no power. So think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22, when the, 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 the achlos, the, the mob comes the tumult, and, and they're arresting him, right? And he says to them, but this is your hour, and the exousia, the authority, the power of darkness. God has allowed this for this moment. And now, at this moment, I am going to, think about this, they didn't arrest Jesus. Why is Jesus coming back from the other side of the Jordan River? Why is he coming back from the other side of the Jordan River? How did he get to the other side of the Jordan River? Let me ask that question. How did he walk? Through them who were trying to what? Stone him. Because they had what? No power, no authority. Because God was still using him. He still had a plan and a purpose. There was something still that he was going to accomplish. Do you get it? Darkness had no power, no authority over him. He walked through it. But in the garden, he submitted to it. They didn't arrest him. He handed himself over. They didn't crucify him. He offered himself. Do you, do you get it? There's a confidence that you have that when you are in the light... Walking as in the day, not as in the darkness. That you know that he who is the light has got your back. And darkness has no power over you. The only reason we stumble is because we step outside the light. I want to camp on that more, but I don't have time. So Jesus goes into Judea, and um, somehow Martha gets word that we're not told exactly how, but she gets word that Jesus is coming. See, she runs out to meet him. He has two meetings, first with Martha, then with Mary. And both of them come out with the same um, statement, though, and and that is um, that, you know, if you'd been here, what? He wouldn't have died, okay? And so we jump in with Martha right away. Um, the, with the declarations of Christ. Um, because, first of all, regarding um, 
Lazarus, Martha starts with this and saying, Lord, if you'd have been here. But he says to her, verse 23, he says, your brother will what? Will rise again. Your brother will rise again. Okay. And so she says, yes, Lord, I know that he'll rise in the what? The resurrection at the end. Okay. It says, he's told Lazarus in the tomb four days. Okay. We can do the math there, how long it takes him to walk there and all that kind of stuff. I'm not worried about that. Okay. But he's in the tomb four days. Okay, Lazarus is going to rise again. Her first reaction is to think about when? Eternity. Eternity. So Jesus then makes the statement, the statement regarding himself that we're memorizing, that we're singing, that we're learning, right? I am. Ego in me. Ani Yahweh. I am. I am. The resurrection and the life. Stop for just one moment. You need to understand what he said there. Yahweh himself is what? Is the resurrection and life. Do you understand that? Do we get that? Okay. So I want to go back to Job 19. Okay. So we're going to do a little bit of fingering here. So go back to Job 19. I was going to put these on the screen. I said, no, no, we're going to, we're, we're, we're playing with our Bibles today. Okay? Not playing. Using. Some of you are going faster because you're on that electronic version. I do that in my meetings, too. But there's something about having a, this paper one that I can write all my notes in and go back to and... Um, I've got numerous of these ones that I've written on my notes. And there's a little challenge for you. When you're, when you're done going through the Bible, maybe two or three times, and you've written all your notes in it, put it on the shelf. Go get another Bible. Because so many times we, we, we become content in reading our notes and not the Bible. Get rid of your notes. It's amazing how fresh it is when you start going through it again, and you see things like, wow, man, I've never seen this before. And then you go back to your other Bibles, and you realize, oh, yeah, I know you saw it before. It's all fresh. It's all exciting. And the older you get, everything's fresh every time. Wow, you're my wife? No, anyway, so. <laughs> Job 19, verse 25. For I know. Who's talking? Job. When did Job live? A long time ago, good. <laughs> Around the time of Abraham, a little bit after Noah, okay? And so Job was probably a contemporary of Abraham. This is really kind of cool stuff. This is the oldest book. In the Bible. Not Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those were recorded by Moses, who lived hundreds of years after Job. This is the oldest book. Okay? So when you think about what did they know back then? What did they believe back then? This is cool stuff. I know that my Redeemer, what? Lives. And he shall stand at last. Where? On the earth, now look at this, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh, when? After my flesh is destroyed. So after my flesh is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh. This is kind of cool stuff, right? This is a bubble inside the bubble thing. Okay? That after my flesh is destroyed, 
that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. And how does he end it? How my heart yearns within me. Do you got that kind of confidence? Do you got that kind of faith? Do you got that kind of motivation? Is that your focus in life? You younger ones, I am archaic to you. It's going to be like forever to get as old as that guy. It's not going to be as long as you think it is. I've been meditating on the fact that I got 15 to 20 years of preaching left, probably, looking at family histories and that kind of stuff. Maybe God will give me more. Maybe I'll, I'll go another 25, 30 years, whatever, you know? But the reality is, I'm closer to my departure than I am to my entrance. Do you get that? But you may be closer. Did you ever pass a bad accident? People had an early departure, didn't they? Bet you when they woke up that morning, they weren't thinking about the departure. But this one thing I know, that when my flesh is destroyed, my flesh is destroyed. It's all burnt up. The sharks ate it. Whatever. In my flesh, I'm going to see God. I'm going to see my Redeemer. Face to face. How cool is that? What did they understand? When he says, Ani Yahweh, resurrection and life. I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, we start with Job. What did Job know? He knew that the great I am was his redeemer and that he was ultimately the what? The resurrector. Okay, let's go on. Psalm 15, 17. Psalm 17, verse 15. This is David. I'm going to start at verse 14 for context. Is with your hand from men, O Yahweh, from men of the world who have their proportion, who have their portion in this life, in whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. But as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake. How? In your likeness. Cool stuff, isn't it? Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead, this is Yahweh speaking through Isaiah. Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall rise, awake and sing you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the what? The dead. How cool is this? Your dead are going to rise. But I think the one that, that really then culminates as we come up is Daniel chapter 12. You, you can't, again, Daniel, and when you get Daniel's statement here. So last week I talked about Daniel. Was it last week I talked about Daniel 11? A little bit, yeah. Okay, and so then you get it, all the prophecy of Daniel 11, and then you come into chapter 12, 
where he talks about at the end times, beginning of verse 1, he says, At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, Israel, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people, Israel, shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. In many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Every individual is going to live forever. That's not a New Testament principle. That's a forever principle. And Daniel just basically blurps it right out. Some are going to be resurrected to everlasting life, to bliss, to being in the presence of God, as Job and David so eloquently declared. But some are going to be resurrected to everlasting shame, where the worm dies not. And the fire does not, is not ever, never quenched. Mark chapter 9, I think it is, where Jesus is speaking regarding that. That's what the Jewish people understood. When Jesus declared that he was the resurrection in the life, at that moment, is right off the bat. So he says, I am the resurrection life. So it's Yahweh, right? But then he says, he who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. See, now he makes the application. If, if you were only thinking he was saying that Yahweh was the resurrection and the life, that sounds good. We can go there. We can agree with this one. Stop. End it right there. Let's walk away in agreement. But then Jesus says what? That's me. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall what? He shall live. And he who believes in me and lives, what? shall never die. You can't kill me. How cold is that? Do you believe that? If you believe in Jesus, that's what you're at, where you need to be. You can't kill me. You can stop my tent, and I don't have time to go through those. You can go through these other ones. You can stop my tent, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, from dwelling on the earth. But you can't kill me. I live inside the tent. And all you can do is help me to go meet Jesus face to face. The worst thing the world thinks they can do to me is the best thing they can do to me. And so I've shared it in the past, but when I drove truck, I loved it. It got people's attention. I just did it a couple, uh, well, a couple weeks ago. It <laughs> got the same reaction. Is Donald here? No, Donald's not here. It was over in Thompson. I was with, with Donald when I did it. And... Uh, he said, how are you? I said, I'm growing, doing great. If I could get any better, I'd be dead. Oh, it can't be that bad. No, it's that great. Listen to me. Listen to what I said. I'm doing great. If I was any better, I'd be dead. But if you don't know Jesus, that's a warped statement. I clearly have psychological issues. And I'm suffering from severe depression. But I'm not. Because I'm doing great. But when I die... I get to be with Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I love Esther Mui's 
version of that. Because breaking out, I am the resurrection, right? And you come down through, do you believe this? Do you believe? Do you believe this? Do you believe? And you're forced to ask the question, answer the question. Do you? Do you really, with all your being, believe that Jesus is the resurrection and life? It changes how you act. When you change the way you think and you understand who Jesus is, it has to change the way you act. You can't live the same. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's a fact. Well, I got to keep moving. So his proclamation, his meeting with Martha. Still, Jesus' declaration, I'm the resurrection of life. Well, he asks her, do you believe this? She has to now respond. And how does she respond? Yes, Lord, I what? I believe. What does she believe? That you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And Jesus draws the line in the sand with her individually. And he does it to every single one of us as well. His meeting with Martha, she declares, Lord, again, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She believes in this power of Christ. But she only believes that the power is, well, he's what? Alive. Did she never hear about what happened to the widow of Nain's son? How Jesus walked up to the buyer? But this one's different. Think about it. How long was the widow of Nain's son dead? I know we don't know. It's not told us. But you can kind of guess it. Say it again. Why do you say a few hours, David? They bury them the same day. And so he's, he's, they're carrying him out. Okay, they're, he's on the buyer. So he had to have just recently died. So there are people who would say what? He never really died. He just, Jesus just resuscitated them. That, you know, because they didn't embalm them. That's why they buried them the same day. Okay, so he really wasn't dead. And so Jesus just went up and he just resuscitated them somehow. But Lazarus is dead four days, wrapped in a tomb. Four days. Four days. Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus groans. He's troubled. He weeps. Again, the compassion of Christ, I don't have time to get into it. But how marvelous it is that God in the flesh was tempted in every way such as we are, yet without sin. He's able to sympathize with what we go through. He wept. He wept. Probably groaned a little bit at their faithlessness, yes. But he loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. There's a part of him. I mean, Mom, Dad, you get this. There are times when you've got to let your kids what? Learn a lesson, the. Does it make you excited? Yeah, baby, watch him do it. Oh, burn your hand. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 this is the glory. No, you groan, you grieve, you sorrow. I wish you'd learn this the good way. I wish you'd learn it from my experience. I wish you wouldn't do this. I get it. My dad probably got it. <laughs> His dad probably got it. Dads, you get it. Our Abba gets it. Our Abba gets it. I, imagine, I wonder how many times is my father, my Abba, my daddy, 
look at me. I say, oh, Bob, if you just walk in the light, if you just believe me fully, if you just trust me in this moment, if you just walk according to my word, get rid of your own self-will, then you wouldn't have this pain. He groans. He's troubled. He weeps. And everybody looks at him and they go, what? Oh, how sad. This guy who loved him, if he'd only been here, he could have raised him from the dead. That's pretty cool. Because you've got a lot of people who are already what? They're right there on the cusp of belief. They get it. This guy's got some power. We're not quite sure how all this plays out with I am God and all this kind of stuff. But this is kind of wow, right? So now we have the performance. Jesus says, where's he at? Take me to the tomb. He already knows. He could walk there. But he wants them to be involved in this thing. Isn't that kind of cool? Jesus wants you to be involved. God wants you to be involved in these miracles. He didn't need you. He didn't need them. Where could he have raised Lazarus from the dead from? <laughs> On the other side of the Jordan. Hey, Lazarus is what? Is sick. The one whom you love is sick. Oh, yeah. You remember the official, you know, from Capernaum? Yeah. Just like his son was healed from a distance, Lazarus was healed from a distance. Could have got word. Hey, the one you loved, Lazarus, he just died. <laughs> no, he's not. He's alive. When you get back, you're going to find out there's a bunch of rejoicing going on. He could have done that, but he didn't. Take me to the place. And then he tells them the next step. This is a huge step. He commands the people to what? Take away the stone. What was their response? Lord, by this time what? Have you ever smelt a stinking rotten body? Did you ever ride down the road? It's a few hours even after a roadkill. It's pretty bad. Did you ever ride past when it's like 12 hours later? Two days later? And it's like you swear there's got to be a skunk. But there wasn't a skunk. It really was just a... Tammy, is this exciting to you? I mean, your face is just so expressive. <laughs> Think about how, how ugly that smells. Four days. Israel's not necessarily a pleasant... You know, it's not like coal all the time. Now, in the, in the tomb, it's probably a little bit coal, you know. But still, four days, dead body, it's what? It's rotting. Say again? Sealed. Sealed. <laughs> Open that seal. Poof, yeah. Anyways, and so, Lord, by this time he stinks. But they do what? They open it. There is the initial step of obedience before we'll ever see the mighty hand of God. And it's this step I think we feel at so many times. But, Lord, by this time it stinks. And we don't even get to the point where we're opening up the tomb. We won't unseal the grave because it stinks. You don't want to open up that closet where you got it hiding. You know, all the sins of the past that God wants to clean out. Because this time it what? It stinks. But you got to open up the tomb before Lazarus comes walking out. So he commands the people, take away the stone. And then he talks to the father. I mean, we're dragging this thing out. You know? I mean, he could have just said, hey, come on out. 
Lazarus could have pushed the stone away himself. If Jesus wanted him to. Think about it. <laughs> yeah? So he says, take the stone away. Stink's coming out. Is it? Is it not? Don't you ever wonder about this? Did stink come out or did stink not come out? Are people wondering, wait, there's no stink. Or was there really a stink? And now he's praying and everybody's thinking, what? Can we end this thing quick? I mean, I don't know about you, but I think about all this kind of stuff going on in this moment. You know, how's this playing out? I wish they would give me a little bit more detail for my, for my, my, my senses to, to kind of play with here. Okay. But Jesus prays to the father. He says, Lord, father, I'm only praying for one reason at this moment. And that is so that other people know I'm praying to you. I want you to get the glory. I want people to understand that I'm only doing this because you have what? Because you sent me. And I want them to believe this. I want them ultimately, at this very moment, here we have the apex of the crescendo. They're struggling to believe, Father. So let's do this. So they won't have any other excuse. And then he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. I know you've heard messages on it, but I love it. And I got, so I'm going to say it. That he had to declare Lazarus, come forth. Because if he just declared come forth, there have been a whole lot of dead people walking out. And one day, he's going to. How cool is that? Hallelujah. Lazarus! Just one of you right now. Sorry, guys. The rest of you, you're stuck in there. Actually, do you ever wonder on the other side, was this really a blessing for Lazarus? He already went through the portal of death. Now he's got to go back through it. You know? But it was for this moment, for what? Go back to the beginning. For the glory of God. That's what this moment was all about. That's why Lazarus, I don't know what kind of struggle he went through in his illness, in his pain, and how many days it took him to finally die, and what he died from. I don't know any of that. It's kind of like the, the man born blind. At least 20 years with blindness. But it's for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Lazarus, come forth. Did you ever wonder how he came out? My name is Bob. So did Lazarus Bob. Anyways, did he, did he come out? I mean, how was he wrapped? Because it was all one wrap. Generally speaking, they didn't wrap a leg, wrap a leg. He was wrapped, mummified in a sense, concept. How did he come out? Because he says to them, unwrap him. I just love it. I mean, I don't know what you, anyways, I just think through this whole process. How cool is God? Could you, could you imagine the penny, the pin dropping at the moment when all of a sudden this guy comes out of the tomb? Uh, uh. And then I just imagine this abrupt glorifying of God in worshiping. And the people saying, when Jesus says, unwrap him, that everybody says, oh yeah, we're going to need to do that. And... and <laughs> You know, and how all this is going on. And so verse 45 is important. We'll talk, it enters into a lot next week as well. But what happened as a result of this? Many people what? Many people believed. So in the end, we have to ask the question, who is Jesus to you? 
Who is he? It's the exact same question. They, is he Yahweh incarnate? Is he really? What does it mean to you? If you die today, where would you go? Because all men are eternal. And when you die, you will live forever. It's just a matter of whether you're going to live in the presence of God or separated from God. Whether it's bliss or condemnation. What's going to happen to you when you die? Have you accepted God's free gift of eternal life? Do you know, honestly know, God? Not just about him. We'll talk more about that in John 17 when we get there. But do you know him relationally? That's what Jesus is talking about. This is a relational thing. This isn't all about my knowledge. Is there then a need to change the way you think and ultimately then change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's true. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, that you have recorded details, intimate, intricate details in your, in your word for us to read and to study, to learn and to be filled with wonder about And this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead after four days has never, ever been brought into question. That's amazing to me. Um, There are not accounts where a dispute is made regarding this. Rather, Lord, we see in your word that (laughs) they sought to kill Lazarus now too. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to live as ones who truly believe that you are the resurrection and the life. That everything I do, everything I say, comes from your empowering of me in some way. And Lord, that I represent you as the light of the world. Help us to be faithful, to go out now with this light, with this truth, with this power, with this authority which you have given to us that we might present you to those who need to believe that you are the resurrection and the life. That they might find the joy that we can have in you. In Christ's name, amen.